Haunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, it was brought to my attention that uh, the November issue of GQ magazine was released and that it was called the New Masculinity Issue, right? So anytime there's something like that that comes out, so it's this entire magazine supposed to be about masculinity, whether you know, regardless of what the source is, I think that that's interesting, right? So there was an Instagram follower that pointed that out to me, and so I figured I'd take a look. Thank God I didn't actually have to buy that piece of garbage, but I did take a look at a lot of the articles that were included in that issue, okay? And so uh, from GQ itself, this is kind of how they're introducing this issue to the world. So it's this, welcome to GQ's new masculinity issue, an exploration of the ways that traditional notions of masculinity are being challenged, overturned, and evolved. Ooh, and that's so exciting. I didn't know that masculinity needed to be challenged, overturned, and evolved. But at the same time, when you get something like this from a very leftist source, which is exactly what GQ is, what a lot of these major magazines are sourcing more from the far left or, or leftist ideals, you're going to get this idea that traditional notions of masculinity are something that just basically need to be changed, if not thrown out altogether. Okay. So I did come in with a little bit of bias coming into this, but as with anything, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, you got to try to get whatever you can out of it, right? Just because you don't like the source or maybe you don't like the material in its entirety doesn't mean that you can't glean a lot from it. And I'll tell you, there were some things that I took out of some of these articles that I thought were incredibly positive. And then there were also some things that were very concerning, very nonsensical, just kind of is what it is. So what we're going to do today here on the podcast is we're going to go over four of those articles from that issue. And it's these four here. It's Pharrell on Evolving Masculinity and Spiritual Warfare. Voices of the New Masculinity, The State of Masculinity Now, a GQ survey, and the last one is Hannah Gadsby on why men should be more ladylike. So we'll be saving that one for the end just for you guys, but we'll go ahead and get into the first one here, and that is Pharrell on Evolving Masculinity and Spiritual Warfare. So this is by the GQ Editor-in-Chief, Will Welch, and this is actually the cover story, right? So this is basically... When everybody bought it for, this is kind of the, the reason this is one of the longer articles. I actually think it was the longest article. And this is an interview with Pharrell. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Pharrell, you're probably familiar with some of his music, like the song Happy is probably his most famous one. But he started out, you know, 20 years ago or so with NERD, which is kind of like this new wavy rap group, um, you know, very, very unique sound and all that type of thing. But he, he's just basically a big dog in the music community, but he also does a lot in the fashion community as well. And so uh, the opening part of this interview is just basically the author, uh, the author of the interview, uh, or of the article rather, that's, uh, you know, basically going to Paris and describing meeting Pharrell and the museum they went to and the fancy restaurant they ate in. And then they went to this Chanel space or whatever, since Pharrell has a direct connection with Chanel, the fashion designing house and all those types of things. Um, and they talked about a lot of things once they actually got down into the meat of the interview. We're, we're of course not going to get into all those things here on this one podcast episode. I'll give you the link so you can check it out yourself. But they talked about a lot of things like him going to church as a kid. So Pharrell, he said he kind of, his dad had a church and his mom had a church and they went to, talked about what it was like growing up with, you know, masculine father and uncle uh, you know, wearing whatever clothes he wants to, right? So wearing women's clothes because he likes it. He's basically non-binary in how he approaches clothing, whatever the heck that means. Uh, and then he talked a lot about, you know, old straight white males and how they're so evil, you know, basically normal stuff, right? And so they talk about a lot of those things, but there are several different questions and interactions uh, between Pharrell and the editor-in-chief that I wanted to get down for you. But uh, before I get into that, I'll just kind of read the opener for the article to you. So here's the one sentence opener. 
pushing the masculinity conversation forward with one of pop culture's most influential futurists. Okay. So the thing that's interesting about this, and I don't think you really get that in any of the uh, sections that I pulled out for you is they, they wanted to make Pharrell into this futurist, right? And so right there in the opener, he's one of pop culture's most influential futurists. Okay. So typically when someone is a futurist, they're also talking things and talking about things in a predictive form and or a progressive form, right? So this is somebody that is predicting trends. So obviously 20 years ago, a lot of the sounds and a lot of the style of NERD was picked up several years later by hip hop and rap artists, right? And they didn't know they got it from NERD, but they did get it from NERD and Pharrell, right? So it's kind of one of those types of things. So they're trying to set him up as a guy that is a futurist and they do this. It's kind of a cheap parlor trick that I felt like they did is I don't want to be too biting with Pharrell because I wasn't in the interview, but a lot of his answers weren't especially insightful. Uh, they weren't especially intelligent. Uh, I mean, they just weren't, it wasn't the greatest interview that I've ever read, regardless of whether or not I agree with the guy. So I, I don't think they were able to just let his answers stand on their own merits because the answers really weren't that great. So they had to try to create this ambiance around this guy who goes to Paris and hangs out with the Chanel people and eats fancy food and wears nonsense clothing. They just had to kind of create this whole thing around him. So, But we'll go ahead and get into uh, the article here and I'll go ahead and give you the question he was asked and then the response. So here's the question that he was asked by the editor here. When we say, hey, we want you to be on the cover of the new masculinity issue, what did you say? Here's Pharrell's response. Or sorry, it didn't. It wasn't what did you say? It's why did you say yes? Why did you say yes? And here's his response. Well, when it comes to having this conversation, I don't necessarily know that the masculinity is new as much as the conversation is new. That's number one. But I think this is a way that I can speak up at a time where we're in the middle of a spiritual plight, a spiritual war. When people are online, they have their real identity. Then they have like a nickname, right? And then he gets a little bit farther down. He says, yeah, it gives them this ability to be whoever they want to be. That's a spirit because they're no longer defined by the physical, the responsibilities of being connected to all that is online. Your spirit is free to be whatever it wants to be. And what do you see online? Effing warfare. And then the the author of the article responds, I've never thought about it in those terms. And Pharrell gets back in here. I'll bring God into it. A lot of people pray less. So when you ask a question, where do you get your number one result? Google. You don't get it through prayer. Uh, you get it through typing. And then this is the editor responding again. Yeah, it's hard to pray online. You could, but you wouldn't have many Twitter followers. And then here's Pharrell's answer to that. That's right. And what did you just say? Followers. We're followers. And we're not following God. We're following men. So that's spiritual warfare. So when you offered for me to be a part of this conversation, I'm like, yeah, because think about it. What is happening to a transgender person? What are they going through? They feel like their body is not connected to their spirit. And what kind of toxic environment do we live in that they have to justify how they feel? That must feel incredibly insane. That is spiritual warfare. So I wanted to be in the conversation on the surface or sorry, on the surface, It's an older straight white male world, but it has prompted this conversation that I think is deeper than what the new masculinity is or what the non-gender binary world looks like. I think we're in spiritual warfare. So here's the deal. Um, 
just kind of flow in this first part here again this is a guy that you can just tell he's kind of all over the place like he wants you know he says i want to be part of the conversation usually when people say i just want to be part of the conversation that's kind of like shorthand for i have no idea what i'm really talking about and i certainly don't know how to fix it so let's just pretend we're doing something let's just talk it's kind of like if you've ever ever worked for a company ever been in a business where they have a lot of meetings but they don't seem to get a lot of work done They have a lot of meetings, but they don't seem to actually close business, right? So it's a lot of stuff that kind of makes everyone seem busy, but it's not really anything that's moving them in any particular direction. It's certainly not, you know, having them, you know, lead themselves to a good quarter or something like that. It's just kind of interesting. But the interesting thing is this was from the very top of the interview and he starts getting into uh, this idea of spiritual warfare, warfare. Like he brings up a spiritual war. This is in the first question. So I thought that that was very interesting that he brought it up. But the way that he brought it up is, you know, he kind of brought it up in macro terms about the society we're living in, about how a lot of people are existing online. Uh, they don't feel like they can be themselves, really. They, they have to be kind of be this avatar of themselves. And I think that there is something to be said there. But then he kind of muddies the water by, you know, just randomly bringing up, you know, what is happening to a transgender person? What are they going through? They feel like their body is not connected to their spirit. And, but the thing is, is when he brought that up, it didn't further his point. It sent it off in another direction right? Because he says this quote, and I'll read it again here. And what kind of toxic environment do we live in that they have to justify how they feel? Again, a hyper-focus on feelings, right? Because here's the thing is biologically, there is no reality to whatsoever to transgenderism, aside from the fact that it is a mental disorder. It's a mental disorder that requires treatment if people are to get better. Now with children, it is overwhelming sense that when children feel like they are transgender, they're actually just exhibiting early symptoms of, uh, you know, same sex attraction. It's not the same thing. And, And the overwhelming majority of them grow out of the quote unquote transgender phase. Right. I mean, that's that's just every bit of data points us in that direction. But he's bringing up this false dichotomy at the beginning that if people feel this way, that they shouldn't have to justify it. And if they do have to justify it, that is somehow toxic. Okay, so again. This, this question was really meant to kind of stay in the world of masculinity and, and that type of thing. And then it kind of went to every single type of social justice warrior type of issue that they could get into one answer. Because here's the thing about Pharrell. If you go back and listen to some of his early records and some of the early NERD records, it's about what you would expect. Incredibly misogynistic violent, sexual, those types of things. And so Pharrell, for the last several years, especially since the collaboration he did with Robin Thicke, um, he's, he's kind of trying to go on this apology tour with the quote-unquote art that he's making now. Uh, He's trying to be more woke than he's ever been. He's trying to be more accommodating than he's ever been. He's basically been swallowed up by the social social justice warrior movement and kind of spit out, swallowed up by the Me Too movement and spit out. Now he's just kind of like this, you know, rainbow clothes wearing like hodgepodge of nonsense ideas that aren't grounded in anything. Right. So we'll go into the the last part that we're going to talk about here in the Pharrell interview. And again, there's a whole lot more from the article we're not going into. We're just doing kind of a, a nice little once over. But here's the next question that the editor asked him here. Something that's missing from the cultural conversation right now is the idea of a higher masculinity. I think that a lot of men are under the false impression that they are being asked to bury or hide or be ashamed of their masculinity. But what we really need is to be in touch with the divine masculine inside ourselves which is the exact opposite of toxic masculinity, okay? And so this is Pharrell's response to that. I think that the truest definition of masculinity is the essence of you that understands and respects which isn't ma- that which isn't masculine. 
If you ask me, when we talk about masculinity, it's also very racial this conversation. Because the dominant force on this planet right now is the older, straight, white male. And there's a particular portion of them that senses a tanning effect. They sense a feminizing effect. They sense a non-binary effect when it comes to gender. Okay? So, here's the thing. is I'm just going to ignore the nonsense at the end there, basically calling all cisgendered, straight, Christian, white males terrible, and saying that, oh, we're all feeling terrible because there's a tanning effect and a feminizing effect, and then he throws non-binary gender, gender in there for basically no reason. I want to focus on his initial response here. And it's this. I think the truest definition of masculinity is the essence of you that understands and respects that which isn't masculine. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of on board with that. Okay, I, I wouldn't do, agree with him that that is the truest definition of masculinity, just personally. But again, I think there is a lot that you can garner from that. There's a lot that you can take away from that. Okay, Because if you are really in tuned like at the most basic level about things that aren't directly masculine, then that means that you are understanding things and probably fighting for and respecting things that are feminine or weak because the opposite of masculine is femininity and a lot of the masculine traits are more strong traits, whereas feminine traits are more weak traits in the way that we normally think about strength and weakness. But at the same time, I think that the the way that I took this whenever I read it initially, and again, I was kind of reading it soured because I was like, gosh, these answers are so nonsense. But the the way that I took that is like, okay, if I'm a man and, and I'm really embracing my masculine self, whatever they think the divine masculine is, I'd love to hear them talk a little bit more about that. But if I'm fully in tune with that, then I would love to understand the aspects that aren't masculine, because that means that I am going to be, you know, standing up for the young, uh, the weak, uh, the the feminine. I'm going to be standing up for those types of things and doing what I can to, in in almost a sheepdog sense, protect those entities. Okay. So again, this first article with Pharrell, um, I would urge you to read it. It's the longest one of them all. But, you know, a lot of the answers are just, it's just so all over the place. There's not really any cogent direction for this article. So that's, you know, basically my biggest complaint about it. But again, like I said, there's something that you can get from it. Okay. The second article is this, it's the voices of the new masculinity. Okay. So this is the one that I really wanted to get into because it was probably a dozen, maybe a dozen and a half different people. And again, when anytime someone calls it the new, whatever, you kind of should pay attention. So the new Christianity, the new society, the new masculinity, you kind of need to pay attention because that, that imbues this idea that, okay, what came before this point was wrong. It was wrong somehow. It was broken. It was misguided. It was societally detrimental, whatever the situation might be, right? So I was very interested in this. And and so what this article is, it was a very long article. There were a bunch of different people, most of the people that you would have never heard of. And it kind of talked about... Um, Well, it was by Nora Kaplan Bricker, and the opener says this, how masculinity is morphing and modernizing according to 18 influential people who are shaping our culture now, okay? So I'm not going to get into all 18 people. I think I picked out three or four, but they were asked individualized questions in different type of contexts, and they all kind of hovered around the masculinity sphere, okay? So the first person uh, that I want to pull out of this is someone called Jabuki Young White, okay? So I think I'm saying the first name right, but Jabuki Young White, so this is apparently a comedian, so I'll read the initial little part and then we'll get into the little interview that they had. Okay. So it's the comedian pushing wokeness forward with jokes. 
Lovely. So here we go. At 25, Jabuki Young-White is the millennial correspondent for The Daily Show, or as the siphon once read, an actual young person. His path-breaking comedy, informed by his identity as a queer person of color, uses jokes to find what he calls freedom and lightness in the heaviest parts of the zeitgeist. Okay? So let's get into a couple, I think I just pulled out a, yeah, just a couple of interactions here. So here's a question that he got. Your standup includes jokes about being perceived as mask, that's M-A-S-C, which you have defined as basically just gay for I'm not like other girls. Again, one of the most confusing sentences in ever, but basically just gay for I'm not like other girls. Anyway, is that part of how you see yourself? So here's uh, Jabuki Young White's response. I would say it's more something I've been made aware of. My dad is a barber and I grew up spending most of my days after school in a barber shop. I remember there being so much casual homophobia. That environment is where a lot of my behaviors that are coded as mask come from. It was a survival technique. Growing up in so many of these hyper-masculine, super-homophobic environments, I think that just naturally became an extension of who I am. I always find it weird, especially in the queer community, when people fetishize maskiness or masculinity. Because for so many people, those are actually scars, you know? They're battle scars on your personality, which is tragic in a certain way. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there, but I think the one thing that I wanted to focus on from that is this is a guy that obviously, uh, you know, growing up with a same-sex attraction or some sort of a queer identity that he's attached himself to, he, he was very damaged by that environment, okay? So uh, I haven't have spent a lot of time in a barbershop, but, you know, a lot of you listening to this have spent time in barbershops, kind of your traditional barbershops, and this casual homophobia, as J- uh, Jabuki described, you know, obviously you see that, right? You don't need to see that in movies or, you know, in a television show. You can just assume that those types of things happen. And so this takes me back to my podcast episode called why I stopped using the word faggot. And that was one of the big things there is if you were just being casually homophobic or incredibly homophobic, uh, and I hate using homophobic, if, if you're being demeaning about people that have same sex attraction, so let's leave it there. If you're being demeaning or biting or violent or any of those types of things towards people with same sex attraction, you have no idea about the opportunities that you're missing out on to help people. Right. So his dad, we have no, we have no other context on his dad other than the fact that his dad, you know, was a barber in a barber shop where his son can come after school. That's all we know about his dad. But for a guy like this, for a young man like this, it was a damaging time for him. Okay, because of the things that were probably said, the slurs that were said, the jokes that were made, the comments that were made about people that came in or that that were walking by. And that's something that's incredibly uh, formulaic for, for a young boy right? Or young girl or whoever's listening at that time. And so that's something that I think that all of us should kind of be aware of is even when we don't think people are listening or taking things in, these things can absolutely change someone's entire trajectory of their life. I'm not saying that made this guy gay or something like that, but it it was one of those things where this guy may not go to anyone in his father's community or his father right now if he ever feels like the way that he's acting or the lifestyle that he's chosen is negative or that he needs help. You know what I mean? I, I just don't think he would go back to those people, which is which is very, very uh, unfortunate. So here's another question that he was asked. It's, do you see any positive sides of masculinity? And here was his response. The positive aspect of masculinity to me is just being sure of yourself, getting to a point where you can take care of yourself so well that you can also be of service to others. That's always been so tied up with masculinity for me. Even though I was around a lot of people who were homophobic or exhibiting these toxic mannerisms, there there was also this high level of chivalry where if a woman walked into the barbershop, you would make sure she had a seat. Or if someone differently abled walked in, you would uh, make sure that they had a seat. 
There is a code of ethics that I think is noble and good and doesn't need uh, to only be practiced by men. There are aspects of masculinity that we all exhibit. It almost feels strange to say that because masculinity has been so demonized. It almost feels like you have to come up with a different word or rebrand it. Okay, so what I get from this answer from this guy is that he's he's caught between two worlds of understanding the positives. He can clearly see the positives of masculinity when it's done in the right way. He, he can see uh, the flourishing that happens in those types of environments. But at the same time, it's almost like he's he, he can't say that without somehow softening it on the back end saying, yeah, well, it's been it's been demonized, but we should probably just rebrand it. You don't need to rebrand something if that thing is positive right? I, I mean, if you're, if you're branding for your company or for your whatever that you're doing with advertising is working, you don't change it just to change it. You don't freshen it up if it doesn't need freshening up. You know what I mean? And so I thought that that was interesting to calm, almost hear this guy admit to himself that he knows that masculinity is a positive thing. He, he knows that uh, whenever people are using masculinity in a positive way that it has you know, good outcomes for individuals. But again, he's trying to you know, live in both worlds at the same time. Okay, a little bit later in the article, they talk with someone named Asia Kate Dillon. And so here's a little bio on her. And so she is the actor who brought gender nonconformity to America's living rooms. Thanks to roles in Billions and John Wick Chapter 3, Asia Kate Dillon has made headlines for playing Hollywood's first gender non-binary characters. Off screen, Dylan, who uses the singular they pronoun, has become a powerful advocate for greater inclusivity in pop culture. Okay, so here is the question that Asia was asked. Is masculinity an idea that resonates with you personally? Do you feel like certain parts of the way you see yourself or the way you present to the world are in some way masculine? And here is Asia Kate Dillon's response. Traditionally, masculinity and femininity have been seen as binary polar opposites. What I was excited to discover for myself and what I'm excited to see happening in a larger cultural context is a redefinition of masculinity and femininity as things that are all-encompassing, that masculinity can be hard or soft, strong or vulnerable, and that those things aren't opposites of each other because being vulnerable is a sign of strength. I'm excited to see people deciding for themselves what masculinity and femininity mean to them. For one person, masculinity might mean a dress and a face of makeup because that's how they see themselves. Okay, so this is obviously a very confused individual, some of they that, you know, prefers to themselves as they, which not only is that, you know, by English standards, incredibly confusing and ridiculous, uh, it's, it's, you know, descriptive of someone who obviously has some internal issues. This is a person that, you know, doesn't want to, you know, uh, embrace their actual identity. Uh, I'm pretty sure that this person is a biological female, um, uh, but they're trying to present themselves as non-binary with the short hair and referring to themselves as they and all that type of thing. But towards the end of her uh, response that she gives, she talks about masculinity and femininity being something that basically that you can define for yourself, that you can decide what those things mean. Okay. That's not how this works. So I don't get to define what something means because of my feelings. Okay. I don't get to put my hand on a hot stove and say, no, it's actually cold, right? You don't get to say that. If you were to say that someone would be like, no, I'm sorry. That's not the correct word. That's actually hot. What you're feeling right now is a sensation of heat. You don't get to change that just based on your feelings. Okay. So no, if someone thinks that, you know, wearing a dress and having makeup is masculine, that doesn't make it masculine. Okay. While at the same time, I can't just be like, you know what? I'm a world-class sprinter. Why? Because I feel that way. 
Like, I'm not a slow person, but I'm not a world-class sprinter just because I feel it, just because I say that, right? I can't be described as fast as you would describe fast in the context of track and field. Hopefully that example lands with you. But again, people that have this, this worldview, they have to basically take out the foundations of the things that are undergirding all of these things just so that they can just play with definitions. Because if, if masculinity and femininity aren't, you know, these, these, you know, rigid structures of definitions, then we can start to play with them. Right. And, and I know that there are arguments for different cultures have different ways of defining masculinity and femininity and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things that would, the majority of us would agree would be masculine or would be feminine. Those aren't things that we can just willy nilly make up. Okay. And the last one that I've got here from this article that I pulled out is from John Waters. Okay. So John Waters is the filmmaker who's been rethinking masculinity since before it was cool. Okay. So he has been called the King of Camp, the Pope of Trash and the Prince of Puke. Okay. (laughs) Great intro. At 73 years old, the filmmaker behind Hairspray, Pink Flamingos and Polyester might be the closest thing we have to a patriarch of unconventional manhood. Ooh, doesn't that sound good? He spoke with GQ about how the culture seems to be catching up to him and how the meaning of masculinity has evolved. So here's the first question for him. As the culture has shifted over the course of your career, how do you think the definition of masculinity has changed? Here's John Waters' response. It has taken on so many different meanings in my lifetime. Today, it's almost a word you can't use. When I was young, it was a threatening word. It meant that you were going to be hassled for not liking sports or not wanting to fight. And now, masculinity is a word that is embraced by transgender men, otherwise known as biological women. It can mean so many things to so many different communities. It can be a very negative word or it can be a positive. I think it should be a neutral word and so should feminine. Then they can't be used against anybody. Again, this guy is trying to just basically say there is no definition of feminine, there is no definition of masculine, and then he's saying it, oh, then they can't be used against somebody. This is a type of guy that says that words are violence, right? Because words are not violence. I can say that I hate you, but that's not violence, right? I'm not performing violence against you by calling you by your correct gender. That, that is nonsense. That's silly. But again, this is a guy that obviously you can just tell from his answer here, he got made fun of when he was younger. This is a guy that I don't know if he identifies as homosexual or, or what, you know, his, his whole decisions have been around those types of things. But I don't see this guy as having a traditional masculine upbringing. So I'm sure that what he saw as quote unquote masculine as a kid were things that were damaging. And it's obviously had an effect on him up to this point. Okay. And so, uh, well, the last part here, it's the last question that he got for John Waters. And it was this in your new book, Mr. Know-it-all you ask, what is a real man today? What's your answer? So here is his answer. A real man is not scared of strong, smart women. Freud was wrong. Men are the ones who have penis envy for good penises that respect women and are not threatened by people who are smarter or more powerful than them. And I think that is what a good man is. Okay, so Freud, he's obviously making reference to Freud, saying that women have penis envy and those types of things. But his, his answer is very convoluted here, uh, because I don't think that uh, any of us would disagree, any of you guys listening to this, that real men are not scared of strong, smart women. Because I'm certainly not. I just, I could have said something there that that I didn't say that probably would have got me in trouble later whenever everyone's coming through and listening to all my podcasts. But at the same time, like strong, smart women don't scare me. Like those are the types of things where I look at that as a person that can aid in the kingdom in the growth of the kingdom. Right. But again, uh, what you see through a lot of this article and you see from a lot of the responses from these 18 folks is this overwhelming sense that they have to change how things are even defined. 
okay? Because if you change how things are defined, then you can start to play. You can play in the milieu and the in-between where things are non-definitional, right? But it takes some time and it takes effort to do that because they're correct in saying that, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you couldn't say something like gender non-binary or gender non-conforming, or if someone said cisgendered, you'd be like, what the heck are they talking about? Like that doesn't make any sense. Okay. But if you take out the things that are undergirding everything, then you can mess with the definitions which makes it incredibly hard to have a society because if you're one of these people that think there's such a thing as they, babies, right? So T-H-E-Y, babies, babies, then you're just confusing kids, not just from an English standpoint. You're not just raising people that are going to basically do horrible on the ACT or SAT. You're raising people that are referring to a singular person as they, but you can't do that without definitions, new definitions that are basically made up whole cloth, right? So now we're getting to the next article. This is our third of four that we're going to go into. So this one has a lot of interesting stuff in it. It's called the state of masculinity. Now a GQ survey. So this is by a bunch of editors of GQ, but here's the opener to that article to find out how perceptions and behaviors are shifting. We polled 1,005 Americans who identify as male, female, or gender non-binary, asking them some pretty wide ranging questions about what they see and how they feel. Right? Because we can't just ask about what they see because what they see might be actual. So we should make sure that we ask them how they feel as well. Okay. So there's actually quite a few quotes, uh, quite a few stats in here. So I'm just going to go through these pretty quick, but again, I'll give this uh, link to you so you can check it out for yourself later. So here we go. 97% of people polled say expectations for male behavior have changed in the past decade. 48% of men describe themselves as comfortable with the changes in the past decade. 27% of men who've noticed the changes are uncomfortable with those changes. So I'm not sure exactly what that's supposed to tell us because obviously things have changed. So the fact that 97% of people say that is not especially inspiring or insightful. Uh, neither is the fact that, you know, about a quarter of these men actually uh, that have noticed the changes are uncomfortable with those changes. Okay. So next part here, what do men want to be described by their friends as? Okay. So 71% say honest. 34% gentle, 13% dominant. Or sorry, I read that in a really awkward way. I'm, I'm going to just start that part over. So it's 73% respectful, 71% honest, 48% strong, 34% gentle, 13% dominant, 19% muscular, and 8% macho. Okay, so most men want to be described as respectful or honest, not necessarily as macho as or muscular. Okay, so 50% of men are uncomfortable seeing two men kiss. 19% of men identify as feminist. That just basically means they're trying to get easy, uh, easy booty. Um, 37% of men say they're uncomfortable crying at weddings. Uh, but what, what is there to cry about at a wedding? I don't quite understand. All right, next one. Percentage of men who worry about their mental health on a daily basis, ages 16 to 34, that is 38% of men, and ages 35 to 64, is 20% of men. So that's something interesting that I don't think is making the point that they're wanting to make, but people that are beyond the age of 35, they're not really worried about their mental health on a daily basis. I think that coincides a lot with when men stop maturing. So for a lot of guys, maybe by the age of 35, you've had all the kids that you're going to have. You've done all the education that you're going to do. You've got all the jobs and changes that you're going to have up to that point. So you just kind of coast. You're like, eh, yeah, you know, I'm 40, I'm 45. I've accomplished essentially what I want to accomplish in this life. So let's just, just go ahead and coast. So these are those guys that, you know, haven't read a book since high school. These are the guys that haven't done any type of class or training since college, that type of thing. So that is something that we could probably delve in a little bit deeper. 
All right, next one. 10% of men have taken a yoga class. 38% of men have used moisturizer in the past six months. And 72% of men have raised, have raised their voice to settle an argument. Okay, so here's the thing with yoga. If you want to stretch, stretch out. 38% of men use a moisturizer. Basically, that's called lotion. Don't your hands ever get dry? What's wrong with these dudes? 72% of men have raised their voice to settle an argument. Well, sometimes you got to raise your voice. All right, 54% of men have seen their fathers cry. 45% of men want to be very or somewhat similar to their fathers. That's not entirely surprising. A lot of us uh, have not seen our dads cry. Our dads are at least Gen Xers, if not, you know, older than that. They didn't grow up in generations that really embrace that. And it's not surprising. Monkey see, monkey do that. 45% of men want to look like their fathers. 42% of men and women say that they haven't talked about masculinity because for the most part, you don't really have to talk about it. It's just something that is what it is. Uh, Which of the following words do you associate with masculinity? Men, so the word vulnerable, 7% of men said that and 7% of women. And B, dominant, 38% of men said that and 52% of uh, women said that. 12% of men have had sexual encounters with a person of the same gender. 59% of men consider themselves completely masculine and 40% of men consider themselves themselves masculine with at least some feminine traits. Not a whole lot to comment on there. The percentage of men who say they worry about clothing and personal style on a daily basis. So from ages 16 to 34, that's 13% of men. And this is hilarious. Ages 35 to 64, 1%. So only 1% of you old guys give a crap about clothing and personal style. I can level with you. All right, next one. Money is the thing that men and women both say they worry about most. Percentage of respondents who say they worry about it on a daily basis. Women, 60%. Men, 46%. 44% of men have gotten in a physical fight. Uh, that's actually that's surprisingly high, to be honest, because the overwhelming majority of guys that I know of, they've never been in a physical fight. All right, since the Me Too movement, 16% of men say, say that they feel less confident in the workplace. 10% of men say they feel more confident in the workplace. So obviously one of the things about the Me Too movement that they would like us to think is that there were basically just dudes pulling out their wings all the time at work and, you know, making women look at it and making them do things and this and that. And those things certainly happened and they were gross and despicable every time that they happened. But it's this idea that this was happening on an overwhelmingly, um, it was just happening, happening all the time, right? So they're trying to prove that with that there. Okay, I'm going to skip down a little bit here. All right. Um, here we go. All right. The percentage of men who've heard the term toxic masculinity. Okay. So young men ages 16 to 34, 52% of them have heard that. Ages 35 and above, only 31% of them have heard that. Um, and of those who have heard the term, only 8% say that they've exhibited it. Okay. Perhaps be the reason why that's too low uh, than what they would probably want in this type of a survey is because toxic masculinity, again, has not been defined. Okay, so there's a lot of different things there, and I did skip over a lot of that. But the thing about this with and with a lot of these articles is there doesn't seem to really be a point, and maybe they're trying to be purposefully ambiguous right? Perhaps they're trying to kind of leave it up to us to decide what we're going to do with this information or any of those types of things. But I do think that that's a little bit interesting that they're leaving this so up to chance and so up to choice. There's not really any conclusions that they're helping us draw from this. Um, And maybe that's because they were saving it all for this last article. And that's the fourth one we're going to go over in the last one today. And that's Hannah Gadsby on why men should be more ladylike. So this is an article by Nora Kaplan Bricker. I think that's her second one that we've gone over. And here's the intro to this one. Hannah Gadsby's stand-up special, Nanette, was the most discussed comedy act of the Me Too movement. Rooted in the personal trauma of homophobic violence, it used sharp humor to proffer a devastating critique of misogyny. She's now touring with a new show, Douglas, that'll hit Netflix next year. GQ asked her what she'd like to see more men understand and do. Okay? 
So here's the thing about Hannah Gadsby. If you've never heard of her, uh, it's for a good reason, because she is a comedian that doesn't do comedy. Okay. So her special came out, I believe it was uh, late last year or late 2018. And the thing about it that was interesting is I'm, I'm a Rotten Tomatoes person. Okay. But I'm a Rotten Tomatoes, regular people person, right? So that's on the right side. Those are the regular people, the you's and me's that have gone out and watched this movie. And then on the left side, you've got the bona fide critics, right? I don't really care what the critics think because almost 100% of the time, if the critics really, really like a movie, I think it's stupid. And if they don't like a movie, I find it entertaining, right? It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot. So when this first came out, on the critic side, it was 100%. And I, I say was, it's still 100% of the reviews are positive. It is a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. On the regular you and me side, 22% as of the recording of this podcast. The reason why is because it wasn't a stand-up special. It was not a stand-up special. It was a gay woman getting up and lecturing mainly Christian cisgendered white men on why they're terrible and why society as a whole is terrible and why America is terrible. Okay. So that's kind of the the whole thing. And the whole critique here is that that's not exactly what people are wanting to tune into when they're looking to be entertained, but some people just don't understand entertainment. It just kind of is what it is. But what I want to do here is this is a very short article. So I'm going to go ahead and read through it here and then give a little bit of feedback. So here is the whole article as read by, or as defined by Hannah Gadsby. So here we go. Hello, the men. My advice on modern masculinity would be to look at all those traits you believe are feminine and interrogate why you are so obsessed with being the opposite. Because this idea that to be a man, you have to be the furthest away from being a woman that you possibly can is really weird. Why is everyone so scared of not being masculine? If you consider many of those in power, those who claim to be leading the world at the moment, you've got a lot of hypermasculine man babies with terrible hair and no ability to compromise. These are the cool guys who are taking us all to hell in a handbasket they didn't pay for. So here's the thought experiment. What if you, the men, looked to traditional feminine traits and tried incorporating them into your masculinity? Women are always being encouraged to stir masculine traits into their feminine recipe. We are told to be bolder, speak up in meetings, exaggerate your skills, all that lean in sort of crap. So perhaps it's time for you, the men, to be more ladylike. How about you scale back on your confidence? How about you try not to act in every situation? What if you tried to refrain from sharing your opinions or co-opting other people's ideas? How about yielding to people to walking in the opposite direction or even just attempting to see them? How about you try pretending that you're the least powerful person in any room and that no matter how hard you work, you'll never be the most powerful. Walk around like that for a couple of weeks and then call your mother. This is the first time that straight white cis men have been forced to think of themselves as anything other than human neutral. And that must be a difficult thing. And I don't say that to be sarcastic. I can see how it is a tough spot. It is not your fault. You didn't build this mess. You were born into it like the rest of us. What I am saying is, I have empathy for you. And empathy, by the way, is one of the traits that women are most famous for. You might know it by its other name, weakness. But don't be fooled. Empathy is a superpower, and it's the only one that any human has to offer. (laughs) Okay, all right, got to reset after that one, but here we go. So let's go ahead and get into kind of the crux of what Hannah Gadsby is saying here, and that's this. What if you, the men, looked to traditional feminine traits and tried incorporating them into your masculinity? So here's the thing. That's not the worst thing you could possibly do. 
Okay, so if you're a guy that is hyper-alpha, hyper-masculine, a lot of testosterone flowing through your system, there probably needs to be a little bit of the softer side that you need to bring in. I'll be the first one to admit that. And the softer side doesn't come naturally to me. I know, it's a gigantic surprise, but it just doesn't come naturally to me. That's something that I have to work on. I have to work on listening. I have to work on being more empathetic and sympathetic and understanding. Those are things that don't just straight up come naturally to me. Okay. Those are traditionally more feminine characteristics and I don't have very many of those floating around in me. So that's fine. Like I'm completely okay with you taking some of the more feminine traits and incorporating them into your masculinity. But that is not Hannah Gadsby's point. That is not her point. Her point is that your masculine traits are wrong and they need to be basically pushed aside for feminine traits to come in. Because here's the thing, and I'm certainly not making this up. Uh, It's been talked about a lot. The thing about most feminists, so whether you're talking first, second, or third wave feminists, it was always about equality, right? That's what it was always about. But kind of like, you know, uh, the Joker in the Dark Knight, it's like, if if a dog were to catch a car, he wouldn't really know what to do once he caught it, right? He wouldn't have any clue. That's kind of what feminists are in right now. Because there's never been a more equal time in the history of the planet. Okay. Because again, if you know anything about the actual wage gap, it's not a gender wage gap. It's a motherhood wage gap for women who choose to forego having a family or forego it in the interim. In I think 49 of the 50 most populated state or cities in the United States, those women make more than their male counterparts with same education and same level of experience. Okay. So I think that for the most part and look at college campuses, the overwhelming majority of graduates now, not overwhelming, but the majority of graduates now are female graduate schools, female medical schools, female. Like I I did a presentation at a veterinary school the other day. There were two guys in there out of a hundred people, right? So this idea that things haven't evened out, I think is a little bit silly, but the problem that feminists are finding themselves in right now is they've gotten to some semblance of equal and now they're trying to push it further. Like, okay, now that we're on this standing, now that you're hearing us, whatever that means, they're trying to push down all the other traits, right? Now they're trying to dominate. And that's what's creating these issues. Because you've got these beta males that are like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll be a male feminist. Like, that. that's fine. Like, I don't really identify with the people on the masculine side, so I might as well identify with you all, right? But maybe that's their game, okay? But the thing about what she's saying here is she's taking a positive point and making it negative, right? So she's basically saying, instead of being how you are, as opposed to acting in the way that you are wired, you should act in the way that I am wired as a female. And the thing about it is, is what if we had this world where no one was confident, nobody was acting in multitudes of situations. If people weren't, you know, giving their opinions, right? Or or putting up ideas. If people weren't challenging the way things were going on or like what, what kind of things would we be able to get done? It's kind of like if you're only empathetic, you're probably never moving because you're too busy. You're too much in your own head. You're too much in other people's heads and their emotions. And so the overwhelming thought that I have for you here is, again, take what you can from an article like this, but the the majority of what she's saying is nonsense. And she kind of feigns empathy at the end saying, oh, I'm not being sarcastic. I actually feel bad for you, right? But again, this is someone whose main point is that men should try to be more ladylike. Whereas I would say we don't need to be more ladylike, but it probably wouldn't be a bad idea for some of us to co-opt some more traditionally feminine characteristics. So if you struggle with listening, with understanding, with sympathy, with empathy, with, uh, you know, servitude, those types of things, perhaps that's something that you should look at. 
Okay, so again, like I said, we're going to give you the, the links to all these articles so you can check them out yourself. But I did, uh, just as a summary for these four articles, I'm going to give you a few things to keep in mind when you're reading articles like this, because it certainly won't be the last one that comes up, right? Pretty much once a week. Now, I, I get an email or, or an Instagram message about something like this that's out there because, you know, we want you know, to give an opinion on it or whatever the situation might be. But here are a few things to keep in mind, okay? The first thing is this. Try your absolute hardest to get something out of it. Go in with the attitude that this won't be a complete crap sandwich, that there's something that you can pull out, some sort of nugget of something that's edible, okay? Because if you go in with a soured attitude and like, oh, this is all stupid, I'm just going to read it basically to proof text my entire life and the things that I think of, it's not going to be positive for you, okay? Now, that doesn't mean you'll always be able to find something of value, because some, some stuff is just completely in utter trash. Like it just kind of is what it is. But a lot of times you'll find the exact opposite is true. Try to find something. Okay. The second thing is this, is explore the outcomes that are, that are being you know, put forth in these articles or whatever, and take them to their logical conclusions. So explore the outcomes, but make sure you go to their logical conclusions. Because here's the thing. There's a sleight of hand that's played with a lot of articles like this. They're made to seem like they're harmless right? Ah, this is completely harmless. So think of it now when you, uh, I think the easiest example of this is transgender or tranny story hour or whatever they call it, uh, at like libraries and stuff like that. It's harmless, right? It's dudes dressed up as highly sexualized women reading kids stories to children. No big deal. But you have to take that to its logical conclusion. Now we're seeing reports of these men that are actually sexually assaulting these uh, children. We see videos of men that are stripping in front of these children, in front of young children. Their parents are somehow clapping as if this is some sort of like woke uh, badge of honor that their kids are sitting there watching this nonsense, right? But again, don't just take things at face value. If you're going to spend time reading these articles, trying to get something out of them, explore the outcomes, but make sure you take them to their logical conclusions so you have a deep understanding of what they're trying to do. And the last thing that I want you to keep in mind when reading articles like this is be careful when taking masculinity advice from beta males, pussies, and women. Okay? Be very, very careful. Because it's not that they don't have anything to teach you, but it might be that they don't fully understand you and what you're going through. A lot of guys that listen to this podcast, you're more alpha. You're a t- you're more tough guy. You're you're way more masculine than you are feminine. Or perhaps you're on your own journey of masculinity right now, trying to figure out what that means. So you should be looking to different places to get your advice, not just this podcast, not just books that I talk about, but you should look in other places, absolutely. But just be careful about the vessel that's delivering the message to you. Because they might not be living delivering it in a way that would be beneficial for you specifically. So just be careful. All right, guys, before we get out of here, we're going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And specifically we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today, the only things I have for you, since it's going to be a lot of that are going to be these four articles. Again, that is Pharrell on evolving masculinity and spiritual warfare, voices of the new masculinity. The State of Masculinity Now, a GQ survey, and Hannah Gadsby on why men should be more ladylike. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. If we deserve a five-star review, please take the time to leave us one and leave us a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. 
I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2019 and the entirety of 2020. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, to your men's event, at your retreat, let me know. Hit me up. Info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Birds Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.